Thanks so much, Denise. Uh, it's always good to be at Hope Astoria. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was uh, a little surprised by the rain this morning. And then surprised after the first service to walk outside and be like, wait a second. Like, it's not raining anymore. There's like sun and it's humid again. Um, but yeah, it's great. Great to be with you all. And uh, yeah, and uh, the program that I direct, actually Daniel is part of it. So if you want to know more about the kind of training we do, it's for people who are planning to be pastors, but it's also we have training on faith and work and evangelism and apologetics and leadership and all sorts of different things. So you don't have to be a pastor or planning to be a pastor. If you're interested in getting some training, happy to talk with you after the service about that. Or you can ask Daniel what his experience has been like, and he'll tell you the honest truth, okay? So, all right, let's, uh, let's pray. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would so assure us of our life in Jesus that we would run with freedom this week into the brokenness uh, in whatever ways you call us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So last Sunday, I, uh, I spoke at a church in Chelsea, and afterwards, uh, my two daughters, two of my daughters were with me, and um, we went to Macy's on 34th Street, Herald Square. And uh, I saw something I wanted to get, but uh, they didn't have my size, so I pulled out my phone and ordered it online, and I was like, well, it'll come. So Friday evening, just a couple of days ago, uh, I was checking my email, which I shouldn't be doing on a Friday evening, but I was checking my email at like 7 o'clock on Friday, and I saw, I got an email from Macy saying, hey, your package has arrived. And I noticed that the, the email said that, well, the email came at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought, hmm. When I got home at 5, I went into the package room of our building. We live in Midtown. Uh, I went to the package room, and I, I don't remember seeing, like, a Macy's package is like Macy's, right? Big red star, Macy's. Um, so I'm like, I think I would have remembered seeing that. I remember grabbing some things, but none of it said that. And so I thought, well, um, I'll, I'll go down there. So I left my apartment, started walking down the hallway, and immediately was, like, filled with anxiety. Have you ever felt this? It's so weird, right? It's, like, immediately filled with anxiety. Like, what if, what if it's not there? What if somebody stole it, right? A package thief in my own building. I'll have to tell the super. I'm like, oh, come on, wait a second. Well, may, may, maybe, maybe I just didn't see it. Uh, meanwhile, I'm walking down the hallway, right? Uh, may, maybe I just didn't see it before. May, maybe it's there. Or, or maybe they said it's delivered, and sometimes, like, they say it's delivered, and actually it shows up the next day. Like, there's all these possible, like, settle down, Hoskinson. Set your anxiety back and its happy little corner and move on with life. So I go down to the package room. I would go in, and we, there are, like, all these, you know, shelving units and one for each floor. And I go through every package on my floor, and none of them are mine. None of them are Macy's. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe the UPS guy put it on the wrong shelf. That happens a lot. So I go through all the other packages. None of them are Macy's. Most of them are Amazon Prime Day, right? <laughs> Honestly, that's where most of our packages came from in the last couple of days. So now I'm like, we have a thief in the building. Who stole my package? And I'm leaving the package room, walking back to my apartment, going, man, when, my, when our super gets back from vacation next week, I'm going to have to tell him you've got a thief. Like, you have to figure this out. And then I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. Like, again, settle down anxiety. 
Like, maybe it's just going to come tomorrow. And then the thought occurred to me, well, wait a second. What if one of the packages I picked up at like 5 o'clock was actually the Macy's package? Nah, not possible, right? Go back into my apartment, open the door, look on the table, and there on my dining room table is an Amazon box and a white plastic packaging envelope with a huge red star right on top. (laughs) I had it the whole time. Now, I tell you this story because it actually illustrates something important in this text that we're going to look at and in this sermon. Uh, Chris has given me just a single verse to cover, and I'm really, really grateful that he gave me this particular verse because meditating on it has been extraordinarily helpful for my own uh, understanding of what Jesus is doing and fuel for my own walk with him. The verse is Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's an amazing verse. It's a beautiful verse. You got this beautiful rhythm, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. It's so, like, so easy to memorize. There's this beautiful parallelism in every word, right? Wages, gift, sin, God, death, eternal life. I mean, it's, just, it's a remarkable remarkable verse. It's one of the first ones I remember memorizing as a child growing up in my church. And yet, friends, the way it's often presented or the way it's often talked about or even the way we read it with our own preconceptions, we often read it as if it says, for the wages of sin is hell, but the gift of God is heaven in Christ Jesus our Lord. We read the verse as if it's talking about our destiny after this life. It's often used, and understandably so, and in one sense, rightfully so. It's used as an encouragement uh, to people to turn from their paths of sin and to trust in Jesus and to receive the gift of eternal life in heaven with him someday. And that's all well and good. But it's actually not what the verse says. The verse does not say, for the wages of sin is hell, but the gift of God is heaven. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, it's obvious where the confusion here comes from. We think of, when as soon as you start thinking about eternal life, you're thinking about, well, that's what happens after we die. That, like, this whole big umbrella of afterlife stuff that you can just stamp the big word heaven on top of. Whatever else is going on there, just call it heaven. Unless you're Michael Schur pitching a show to NBC and you call it the good place, right? But that, that's, that thing out there, that must be what eternal life is talking about. And if heaven is what we're talking about, then the opposite would be hell, however you want to define that. But friends, I say we're misreading it to read it that way. We're actually not extracting from it all the meaning that Paul and the other New Testament writers infuse into that statement, eternal life. So what I want to do for a few moments, the few moments we have together on this verse today, is to ask three questions of this verse, and specifically of that phrase, eternal life. I want to ask, what is it, why do we need it, and where does it come from? So, what is it? Normally in a sermon, um, I, I like to go in a kind of a Socratic way, where I kind of like build evidence, build, 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 and then just have this aha moment. I really love those. 
I'm not going to do that in this sermon. I, mean, I, I want to like, define it first because conceptually this is a little challenging. But I want to define it and then describe it. So what is eternal life? If it's not simply heaven after you die, what actually is it? I love the definition given by the New Testament scholar David Hill. He's actually an Irishman who taught in the UK, New Testament, uh, his whole career. He passed away just last year. He describes eternal life as the life of the age to come. And you say, exactly, heaven, right? (laughs) Isn't that what that is? Well, friends, it's not just heaven, though it may sound like that. Because heaven is a conception about the future, about what awaits us after this life. But the life of the age to come, or eternal life, is not entirely future. When we think of heaven, or going to heaven, or whatever it is, after we die, it's a future conception. Like, someday I'll have eternal life. But as the New Testament conceives of it, the phrase eternal life is not only a future thing, it is also a present thing. It's future too, but it's broken into, it's intruded into the age that is. Let's look back at our text, and I'll add to it the verse immediately before it, Romans 6.22. Paul writes, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap is holiness, and the result is eternal life. Notice he does not say, the benefit you reap is holiness and the result will be eternal life, right? And he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, not will be eternal life. Now, you might say, I'm reading a little too much into the word is. So, let's hear how Jesus puts it in the Gospel of John. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, present tense. And just to be clear, Jesus could not have thought more precisely about his tenses as he does in this verse. Listen to it. Whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Do you hear? <laughs> like, he goes present, future, past. All in the one verse. So he's, we're, we're not making this up. Presently, you have eternal life. Someday you will not be judged, which I think everyone is a little nervous about, because previously you crossed over from death to life. And that's why the author of of the Gospel of John, reflecting on this statement of Jesus, writes in his first letter, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. We already have it. It's already done. It's a present possession. And that's why I'm making this distinction between eternal life and heaven. If if I could put it this way, it's not that they're different from each other, but heaven is a subset of eternal life. It's the future part of it, if you will. But But if we think of it only that way, we're not actually thinking of eternal life the way God thinks of it. 
Because there's a future aspect, heaven if you will, and there's a present aspect right now. It's something we enjoy because it's invaded our age now. So what does that mean for us? It means that the phrase eternal life is not simply talking about the longevity of life. This is actually an interesting thing that Michael Shore deals with in The Good Place. If you've watched all four seasons, no spoilers. No spoilers. It's worth watching all four seasons. But throughout those four seasons, one of the things that that they wrestle with is the longevity of it. It just keeps going. But eternal life is not merely talking about the longevity or the length of it. It's talking about the quality of life. The kind of life. It's the kind of life that characterizes the age to come. That life, the life of the age to come, Paul says, is a present reality. So what even is the life of the age to come? What does that mean? Friends, that age to come is the world that we're all working for and waiting for. I mean, like this week, you were waiting for the age to come. This week, you were working for the age to come. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is true of all of us. We all have things that we're passionate about. Areas where we find our world or our society or our city or our family or our friendships that are just messed up and broken. And we're passionate about finding a solution for that. The age to come is that world that we all want. It's the world of human togetherness. Where nations and ethnic groups and natural enemies no longer pick up guns to fight one another no longer send spies to find out what the other side's really doing, but there's peace. And not just on the geopolitical level, but on the personal level, where broken relationships are made whole again, where families that have been estranged are reunited. But that's not all. The age to come is also a world of restored balance and harmony where resources are used for good and for beauty and are neither squandered nor wasted nor pillaged. The age of the world to come is a world of creativity, of light bulbs going off as we dramatically reimagine the resources we have and how they can be employed to create flourishing for all people. And in the age that is, our age, Creativity is used to oppress people, to destroy the competition. But in the age that is to come, creativity makes everything and everyone flourish. And the life of the age to come is a world of justice, where every human being is dignified, regardless of age or disability or gender. In a word, friends, the age of the world to come is the age of love. It's the world we all long for, from environmental justice to workers' rights, even as writers and actors are on the picket line right now. It's a world we've all been waiting for and that we're all working for in our jobs and in our volunteerism and even in our church. 
That's what eternal life is. It's the life of the age to come invading the present here and now, which brings me to my second question. Why do we need it? There's a sense in which I think this, this, is a, this answer is fairly obvious. Think of all that you worked for this past week. Think of the hours that you spent as a lawyer trying to defend the innocent or trying to keep corporations and companies true to their word. Think of your job as a restaurant inspector and all the people who try to game the system where all you're trying to do is make sure that people have a healthy place to go get dinner. Think of the systems that you're trying to upend from human trafficking to educational inequality. I mean, clearly, friends, something is broken about the world that is. That's why we're all working to fix it. And that brokenness the scriptures simply call sin. That's not a very fashionable word. But frankly, I don't think you can find a better word to describe the whole mess of what is wrong with human life and human society. From the greedy waste of resources to the willful neglect and abuse of children, the present age is marked by sin, by straying, by seeking our own way, by stepping on other people to get ahead. Sometimes even in the name of justice. Well, if, I'm in, if I were in that position, I would write the system. So I'm justified to cut people's throats to get to that spot. Can we talk politics or at all? We seek our own pleasure and convenience at the expense of others. And friends, if we're honest, we have to admit that it's not just the people and the institutions and the systems out there that are the problem. They're all broken. It is as the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. He's this one who he wrote about 100 years ago exposing what was happening in the, the new Soviet Union the atrocities he witnessed. He said, he lamented, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, deeds and it was on, necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. If only we could do that. Take all the bad people, round them up, put a fence around them, and destroy them, rid the world of all the evil. But, Solzhenitsyn continues, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The problem is here. It's out there because it's in here. Even in our efforts to do good, we are hobbled by our longing for approval and security and power and pleasure. We can even use good causes as means to promote ourselves and get those things that we really want. That's where it's, it's interesting being someone who preaches sermons. Because as a preacher of a sermon, you might not notice a difference. But I can notice a difference when I'm actually doing this in order to get the approval that I've always wanted. Or I feel a sense of power because I'm the one talking and everyone else has to sit there and listen. 
My hunch is that you probably would know. <laughs> we even use our moral high grounding to get these things we think we really want. We wander down the hallways of our lives filled with anxiety, wondering if today's the day we'll finally receive the package of recognition that we long for or the package of financial independence that will give us security in these times or the package of the vacation, the sabbatical we so desperately need and desire or the package of power to just do what I want to do. Friends, life here tastes like death. We work and we work and we work, but because we're broken, we ourselves are broken. All that we earn with all of our effort, the wages that we get is death. Again, present. Not will be death, it is death. That's why life feels like death so often for us. It's not a future reality. The life of the present age is a life of death. So friends, why do we need eternal life? We need it because we can't go on killing ourselves trying to make it happen. Now, here's the remarkable thing about this verse. Just like my Macy's package... The answer's been sitting there the whole time. We walk the corridors of our lives in a desperate search, filled with anxiety, looking for acceptance, looking for security, looking for power, looking for comfort, bringing death, only death upon ourselves, when actually we already had the life of the age to come sitting on our table, present and available. We just didn't know we had it. Which brings us to this third question. Where does it come from? Friends, it comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the one who brought the life of the age to come and broke into our world with it when he was born of the Virgin Mary. He crashed our party in the middle of the oppression of the Roman Empire and the oppression of wayward religiosity. Jesus was born, and in his incarnation, he brought in the age to come. And then in this present age, where living is death, Jesus was the only one who lived that life that we all say we want, that life of human togetherness, that life of balance and harmony, that life of creativity, that life of justice, that life of love. In every moment of every day, Jesus gave himself away. And he kept giving himself and giving himself and giving himself away until the day he gave his life away on the cross and suffered the abuse, that millennia of broken people like you and like me, that we have heaped on one another for all of human history. Jesus absorbed it all on the cross. You see, Jesus lived the life we failed to live, and then he died the death that we should have died. But then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And as we sang earlier, his resurrection is the proof that the present age is not the final age. 
that the life of death we experience now is not the end of the story. His resurrection is proof that the life of the age to come has, in fact, invaded our age. Where does eternal life come from? Friends, it comes in Jesus. But don't mistake this. I mean, there's, there's another way that I mid-rest, mid, mid, misread this verse for years. This Romans 6.23. I often thought of Jesus like the UPS driver with the package of eternal life coming up to me and saying, well, here you go. Here's a gift from God, eternal life. I've got to go on to my next delivery. But it doesn't say the gift of God is eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, in connection with him, because we are united to him. We get it by virtue of our union with Jesus, which is why the Apostle John says in 1 John 5, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. It's in the Macy's package you already had. You just didn't know it was in there. You didn't have to wander the hallways with anxiety. The life of the world to come is already in you because you're in Jesus. If you have him, you have the package. You have the life of the world to come already in and with you now. It's the very thing that has opened your eyes to the brokenness and the very reason that you're laboring to see some of these things corrected. It's because that life is already in you. You may not feel restored. You may not, your body may not be whole, but in Jesus and by virtue of your connection to Jesus, you already are healed, restored, whole. And even in preaching a sermon like this, there's a way to preach a sermon to try to squeeze security or squeeze approval or squeeze power out of it. And all it does is it abuses people. If there's a way to preach a sermon where you sense Jesus is healing me, has healed me, I'm just free to talk about that. It might not even sound different to a hearer. But existentially, it makes all the difference in the world. Your work at your law firm on the exterior might look exactly the same as the next person who doesn't know Jesus. But Jesus said that when you drink of his living water, the water becomes a well inside of you. What an image. Water that becomes a well, John 4, springing up into what? Eternal life. It's already in you. It's that spring right here. You don't have to wander the hallways looking for it. You don't have to run into the brokenness saying, I've got to fix it. My worth, my value, my identity rests on the fact that I fix this thing. And if this sermon goes bad, I'll get a bad reputation. Might never get invited anywhere again. Are these not the anxieties we live with? Jesus says, no, there's, there's a well inside of you springing up of the life of the age to come. And it's pouring out through you. Don't wander the hallways in your anxiety. So friends, I want to encourage you here in the final minute of this message to live from the wholeness of who you already are. 
not striving and working and manipulating and belittling in order to get approval and security and power and comfort. In Jesus, you already have all of that and more. It's in the package. It's in him. You have the life of the age to come right now. So what that means is you're actually free to love. You're actually free to love. Whereas before, you, were try, you were, might use love to get approval or use love to get security. Now you're actually free because you already have all of it. You have everything. You have Jesus. So friends, invest in those friendships and cross-cultural barriers, cross-ethnic divides. Make bridges there. Be involved in the work of racial justice. Devote yourself to restoring harmony and balance in the environment. Give yourself to creativity. Work for justice, not in order to fix yourselves, but because you've already been made whole. And above all, love. Eternal life is already yours. Love is the language of the age that is to come. And by virtue of your union with Jesus, it's already in you. So church, love. Love freely. Love God. Love your neighbor. And enjoy the gift that's already yours. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you pray with me please? Holy Spirit of God, with groanings too deep for words, speak to our hearts. Help us to feel that we are healed, and that Jesus has made us whole, that we are free. Slaves no more. Chained no more. That our, fam our families of origin are not our ultimate identity. Nor our ultimate destiny. But that Jesus has broken in to give life. that we may love freely. Our world needs love. Our coworkers need love. Our neighbors need love. Our families need love. Ultimately, they need your love, Lord Jesus. Let our love be a little signpost to a love greater they could ever imagine. By the power of your spirit, please make it so. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.